Come on, amen. Do you believe that? Let me be honest with you. I'm not sure if we all believe that. I mean, I, I want to believe it, and I want to believe that you believe it. But I'm not so sure that's always the case. I mean, I think sometimes we hear a song like that, and we think that that song is written for somebody else. We think that, well, God could bring Lazarus back. He could bring my neighbor back. He could, he could, he could do that to my coworker, or maybe the person sitting next to me. I could see that, but, but me? Can he really bring me back to life? See, he can and he will if we surrender that soil of our soul. He will bring us back to life. But the way in which he's going to do it, you may not like. Full disclosure, the same way in which he brought Lazarus back four days in a cave, in a tomb, is much like the way he will bring you and I back through as we conquer our cave. I'm so excited to, to kick off this series today. We're calling Conquering the Cave. Man. We're gonna look at a guy named David. A guy named David who, uh, he had some conquering to do. At age 15, this shepherd boy would be anointed as, as king to be the king, but it would be not till age 30, 15 years of wandering, oftentimes from cave to cave to cave. But in the words of J.R. Tolkien, not all who wander are lost. You see, that journey from cave to cave doesn't mean we're lost. It means that God is doing a refining work in each of us, but it takes oftentimes the cave to do that work. So each week, here's what we're going to do during this series. I'm so excited for it. We're going to, each week, we're going to talk about a different cave. Today, we're going to talk about the cave. It's a big Christian word. You ready for it? The cave of conversion. I know that's a churchy word. Ouch. But do you know the difference between conversion and regeneration? Because I think that oftentimes we get, we get the two confused. The moment you accept Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.5 says we are made alive. Your soul is regenerated and nothing can change that. You will spend forever with eternity, with Jesus in eternity forever. But are you converted? You see, regeneration is instantaneous. Bam, like that conversion, it takes a lifetime. If we're struggling with the same thing we struggled for the last 20 years, don't blame it on God. God doesn't want us to struggle with the same crap that we've been struggling with. He wants us to experience freedom, but he has to take us into a cave to do that. We don't want to go in that cave, but I love you enough to tell you that we need to go into that cave. I need to go into that cave and embrace the work that God wants to do in that dark, cold, dingy, confining cave <laughs> so three weeks ago I have to tell you this is where I got the, 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 this message I was literally in a cave I'm going to tell you what that cave was a little bit later in the message but I was in a cave and, and I'm going to be honest with you on that particular day I failed in that cave 
Come on, sweetheart, we're out of here. He's not perfect. We are looking for a perfect pastor. Well, keep looking. Because I think sometimes we learn more from our failures than we do successes. And that, on that particular day, I failed, not because God wanted me to fail, but because I didn't step into the victory. But I didn't stay there. I came back, and through the power of the risen Christ, man, I conquered that cave eventually. But it was in, it was in the midst of defeat that my loving father whispered something to me while I was in that cave. You know what he said? He said, there's more in you. He said, son, there's more in you. And I thought that was just for me. And at that time it was, but God told me to preach that to you today and put it in the first person for you and I to say it in the first person. Ready? There's more in me. Say it again. There's more in me. Speak that over your family. There's more in me. Speak that over your situation. There is more in me. Don't you settle for less than what God's called you to settle for. Enemy laughs his butt off because Christians, we acquiesce. We capitulate. We, we say, you know what? I guess I wasn't meant for so much more. I guess I'm just, this is my lot in life. And God says, no, 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 son or daughter, there's more in you. There's more in me. So, uh, so David's trouble began. And by the way, that's what I'm calling this message. There's more in me. David's trouble began, and you, if you keep playing that, I'm going to keep preaching. <laughs> Which you're laughing now, but in two or three hours, you ain't going to be laughing. <laughs> uh, but um, the, 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 so the trouble started for David when, um, in, in 1 Samuel 17, when he slayed the giant, right? He, he's victorious. He killed the giant. Woohoo! Well, 1 Samuel 18 then comes. They come home from the battlefield, and this, that's when it went south. All the ladies, 1 Samuel 18 says that all the ladies were like, when they came strolling in, Saul has slain thousands, but David, tens of thousands. Can you see some drama developing? You know, follow me, okay? So the same stuff we struggle with today that's been happening for years. And, and, and it's very important to always try to understand the, the scripture in the context in which it was written. And then through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can apply that truth to our own lives. And, and, and so, I mean, I want to put this in a modern context. Where, where's Pastor Jordan at? Where you at? Oh, there you are. How could I miss you with that referee shirt? Come on up here. <laughs> Foul right there. Um. Come on up here. I, I'm just getting ahead of you because I know you're going to say something about something I'm wearing. So come on up here. So I'm going to be Saul today. I'm going to be Saul, and, and you're and you going to be David. And let's be honest, you'd much rather be David than Saul, right? Okay. So why don't you just sit over there because I'm going to need you up here for a little bit. And so here, uh, here's the modern context. Now, I'm going to take this passage today and apply it. So the, the past few weeks, we've had Pastor Michael and Pastor Jordan have... Michael Jordan? Get that? <laughs> Oof, come on. 23 in the house today. So be, between them, they've done a great job. Have they not done a great job preaching the Word of God? Come on. But here, here let me modernize this text. Okay, here we go. So this would be... Um, I really like Pastor John's preaching. 
but I really love Pastor Jordan's preaching. Right? <laughs> but you now that happens in churches. You know that? Yeah, uh, yeah you know. Rodell, you know. And, and uh, one of my favorite quotes is, an insecure leader creates an insecure team. Yeah, an insecure leader will create... If I don't embrace other people teaching and teaching well like they do, we got problems because then it just became about a personality instead of the person of Jesus Christ. But, but this stuff happens, right? So, so in the modern context, I really like Pastor Jordan's preaching, but eh, John, he's okay. And it kind of goes long, which I did go pretty long this morning, didn't I? So, so let me give you, so here, so they, this is what happens. First Samuel 18, verse 10. Now this is before the cave. We're, we're, we're heading to the cave, but we ain't there yet. How many know you can be in a cave without being in a cave? Right? First Samuel 18. So the next day after this battle, that evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. So let me be clear. First John 1, 5. God is light and in him is no darkness. So when the, when the spirit came from God, basically it came through God, allowed God withdrew his hand of blessing and protection and allowed that evil spirit to, to, to get into his heart. So he, Saul, was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. It's good. That's a good lie. The lyre's from the Harp family, so he, you're right on. Yeah, you're right. That, that you, 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 you work that lyre. Who does that lyre work for? <laughs> Forget that. Strike that. Shouldn't have said it. It, it was rated R. Saul had a, a, a spear in his hand. Here we go. Here's my spear, my trusty spear through which I will thrust your innards. So, right there. I'm going to keep this on, honestly, because I, <laughs> I don't trust myself. That thing is razor sharp. I don't want to be the guy on YouTube that's like, oh, that pastor, yeah. I heard about him. What happened to him? Oh, he's in prison. Can you get this? Can you get that with your strong little manly hands? <laughs> oh, you can hear you. All right, so here we go. So he had a spear in his hand and he hurled it. What a nice guy, right? He hurls it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. And if you read the next chapter, chapter 19, he actually did it again. He eluded him a third time. So he throws the spear, whoosh, dodge, duck, maneuver, weave, and there's the spear. Now, don't answer the question, but I want you to think about that spear and what David did with the spear. Hold that thought. Because the first truth, truth I want to give you today is the cave reveals dead weight. Newsflash, some of us, myself included, we carry around dead weight, weight that we were not meant to carry, that God never destined us to carry, and we carry it around anyways. And here's the problem with carrying dead weight. God wants to do a new work in your life. He wants to give you something that you need in this season of your life. He wants to simply place that provision in your hand, but the problem is our hands are full with a barrage of spears that we picked up. Maybe spears that were hurled in your direction by your family or from a, an enemy, right? Or maybe there's spears you've hurled at yourself from the enemy that's inside you. 
Sometimes the enemy is the inner me. But whatever the case may be, we, we pick those spears up and, and we want to throw them at people. And God says, well, I want to provide for you. I want to bless you. I want to, I want to give you provision. But your hands are full. Let me ask you a question. Are, are your hands full today? Do you have spears in your hands? Here's a spear I see all the time. The spear of projection. The spear of projection where you, know, you, go, on that, you go on that social media and do that, that, that passive aggressive post. To, you know, really you're kind of dogging your ex. Like, I'm so glad I found a spouse who really loves me and treats me right. Wow, I can't see through that one. Or uh, how about the, there's the spirit of, proje- the, the spirit of proje- projection, but there's also the spirit of deflection. We, we have brokenness, and God wants to deal with that brokenness in the cave. He wants to do a work, but we refuse. We deflect it, and instead we just pick up the spear and, and we just deflect. What do we do? We, we go on social media. We, we, we have that picture where everything's perfect in our family. We're at the beach, and, and, and you know. Yeah? Are you done yet? Okay. Then we go back to resting jerk face. Show me the picture after the picture, right? Because what is it that we're deflecting in our life that God wants to, to, to allow? But we, we, we'd rather just throw, throw a spear of deflection or maybe a spear of insurrection where, where we just stir up a bunch of stuff in the church or in their family or someone who sins differently than us and it seems to other people like they have a bigger sin than I do and so my sin seems small compared to that and so we just kind of stir it up, right? God wants to do a work, but we've picked up the spear. I want, I want to tell you, listen, if spears are hurled in your direction and if you're vertical and breathing, they will be hurled in your direction. That's life. When those spears come, I want you to do exactly as David did. You know what he did? Nothing. He didn't pick it up. He didn't pick up the spear and throw it back at Saul when he had every right to do so. There's a great book that I love and that I, it's actually, we have it in the lobby, uh, $10. Um, it's called A Tale of Three Kings, A Study in Brokenness. And let, let's be honest, we're, we're all a little, we all experience brokenness, you know? And, and this is just a great read. And it talks in there about just not picking up the spear because you want to exact your revenge. But David never picked up the spear. He just evaded it. And I'm just, I just want to say I'm really proud of Jordan. Jordan, went through a, a cave season two years ago. Some of you know this story, some of you don't. He went through a season in which it would have been very easy for you to pick up a spear. And I really believe that one of the reasons God is blessing you in this season is because of what you did not do in that previous season. You, I, you didn't post, you didn't react, you just said, God, you gotta fight this battle because it's bigger than me. There, there's more in you And he could say, God, there's more in me. Help me not pick up the spear and exact wrench. Help me not wound. And I'm so proud of you for that, man. And I really believe God's going to bless you and is blessing you in this season. Amen. But, but, you know, sometimes, let's be honest. Let's not, I mean, I I don't want to minimize what's going on. It's when people throw rocks at you or spears at you, it, it's, it's heavy, right? I mean, when someone maligns your character, 
I mean, we can, we can, let's take the Christian cape off today, man. Like it hurts. It sucks, right? When someone does that, it hurts. When someone disparages your integrity or your character or, or impugns you, like, did, did anybody, did that happen to someone this week? Yeah? Did it happen to you this week? Not by the guy sitting next to you, is it? Because if so, no. See, don't pick it up. No, I'm, I'm teasing. But it's not funny when it happens. We can laugh in church all day, but, but it hurts when, when rocks and insults and accusations and indictments are incoming, hurled in your direction for something you didn't do or don't deserve. It hurts. And, and I want to teach you something that I didn't learn in s- seminary. I almost said cemetery. <laughs> Sometimes the two are mutually... Uh, so I, want, I, was, I was taught this by a firefighter. You can learn a lot from a firefighter. He said to me, he said, John, when people, when people throw stones at you, or spears at you, he said, it hurts and it's heavy. He said, but you know, really, it's only heavy if you pick it up. Don't pick it up. Be like David and just say, you know what? You ain't getting me. I'm better than that. There's more in me than to pick up a stone and now use it as a projectile to exact my, no, no. There's more in me, God. There's more in me. And when we do that, we look a whole lot like Jesus Christ and we look a whole lot like King David and doing exactly what he did because there's more in me. And so what happens next? So Saul is ticked off. He wants nothing more than to kill David. And so what he tries next is he uses his own daughter, Michal, to try to distract, the Bible says, distract him from, you know, kind of, kind of thinking about the girl and he's hoping he'll go out and be killed by the Philistines because his head's not in the game, right? And so he gives his own daughter, Michal, in marriage. And so I can't fathom the thought of me using my own daughters for this illustration, not because I don't like Pastor Jordan, but because I can't think of giving my daughters away at this particular moment. (laughs) And I'm trying to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and stay in a good frame of mind. So I need a volunteer. uh, In the words of Beyonce, where are my single ladies at? Oh, yes, yes. What, What is your name? What is it? Katrina, come on up here. (laughs) Katrina. Katrina's a single lady. All right. So you're gonna be you're gonna be Mikkel. You can walk around. If she if she jump if she if she scales this thing, you you know what I'm talking about. See that what a gentleman. He gets up and he's giving her the stool. Oh, that's so cute. So, Katina, you're going to be, your, your name now is Mikkel, and this is King David. Hunga, hunga, burning love. Hey, there's an old saying, if the shoe fits, you wear it. Okay, I digress. So, so you're a weapon of mass distraction, right? And so what happens is, if you read 1 Samuel 18, in verse 23, King David responds to Saul by saying, I'm broke. Like, I don't have any money 
to give you for this beautiful bride, okay? And he actually really did like Mikkel. He was in love with Mikkel, for what it's worth. Uh, and so King Saul really wasn't interested in money. What did he want? He wanted him dead by the Philistines. He wanted his head out of the game. And so he says, and this is in the Bible, he says, instead of money, just bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. It's in the Bible, y'all. And, and, and this might be a good time to remind you that we have a great kids' ministries. Great kids' ministries here at the gathering. Okay, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to water it down. I'm not going to leave stuff out. Like, that's in the Bible. That's what he was doing. So that's what you get. And you know what happened? It didn't work. He didn't get distracted. He didn't get killed by the Philistines. And so King Saul went to plan B, which was to exact this, develop this plan to, to murder him. Well, Jonathan, King Saul's son, caught wind of it and went to David because David and Jonathan had kindred spirits. They were close. They were tight like that. And he says, hey, David, my dad's going to try to kill you, so you, you got to go. And so for the next seven years, it already transpired. So for the next eight years, King David's on the run. Thank you, King David and Mikkel. Awesome. And I will give you Jordan's number later. Oh, did, I, did that come out? Sorry. Okay, so now we're, now we're to the cave part of the story. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Also, those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. More about those 400 men in a second, but... Truth number two, the cave, it cultivates your calling. A lot of us, we, our call has been lulled to sleep and we've just begun to settle. Maybe what God spoke wasn't from God. Maybe it's not gonna happen in this lifetime. Maybe it was just metaphorical. I mean, we can create all sorts of scenarios and false narratives in our head. So the cave, it, it cultivates our calling. Now, when you begin to cultivate a calling, you know, what, you know what happens? You unearth things. You know what happens when you unearth things? You unearth things. Pain, hurt, some things that you've just, we're really good at stuffing. We stuff stuff, right? And then 20 years later, we're in, we're in therapy because we stuffed. And God says, I want to unearth some things in the cave that I need you to deal with. I want to cultivate your calling. Now, let me give you some quick geography. Put that map up. Real quick. So Gibeah is where the palace was. So Saul's palace was in Gibeah. So he would have gone from Gibeah about, uh, what did I say, about 20 miles to the southwest to Adullam right there. Now Adullam would sit, these caves of Adullam, you can go visit them today. They sit atop of, of a mountain, about 500 feet in the air. And they look, you can look from that cave. Here's a, here's a picture of the, uh, looking from the cave of Adullam, looking out towards the north, and two miles away, the north, you know, what that, you, know, you know what you're looking at from the cave of Adullam right there? That's the Valley of Elah. Anybody know what happened at the infamous Valley of Elah? Well, I'll tell you what happened there. A little battle you might have heard of. There's this little guy called David, and there's this big nine-foot Philistine called Goliath. Are you kidding me? 
You don't think that's a little bit interesting? The fact that, that he would be holed up in a cave that where he'd step his foot out the cave and he'd look and he would see the valley where he slay the giant. And, and my question to you and, and, and any person who's studying the word of God has to ask himself or herself, what must he have thought when he looked out from his cave at the valley of Elah? Because what he saw determined to a large degree who he became. Did he see, man, that's what I once was? Or did he see, that's who I am? I gotta go back there and I gotta, see, that's a battlefield I'm fighting. I fought on, I was victorious. But what was a greater battle? I believe the greater battlefield is the battlefield of your mind in the cave where you fight anxiety, where you fight depression, where you fight the lies of the enemy who whispers to you in the midst of your cave, you're not enough. You'll never do it. God was wrong. He can't use you. What about your past? Like all that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Which is why when God cultivates your calling, it's so much about identity, about who you really are and who you were meant to be. Because the world will extract your calling and try to, to, try to say, look like this, eat like this, wear these clothes. Like the, the, the whole world is set up to jack around with your identity. And so we have to learn, God, who do you say I am? The reason I couldn't plant a church until I was my age, I'm not telling you what age I am, 27, <laughs> was because I cared too much about what y'all thought. I was too insecure. And, and, and something, somewhere, I, blend, I began to say, God, I'm going to let you define it. I'm not going to live for the affirmations of man. I'm going to live for an audience of one, an audience of nail-scarred hands. And that changes everything. There's more in me, and there's more in you. You see, it takes great faith to slay a giant. Right? It takes faith to slay a church. It takes faith to start a church. For me, that was a giant. But it takes identity to sustain it. Let me, let me say it this way. Faith believes what God can do. Identity believes what God can do through you. Receive that. Receive that truth. Just let that sink in. Because faith, I can have great faith, and the next day I can have crappy faith. But if I know who I am, and I know whose I am, it changes everything. Because I run back to Jesus. And I said, you know, that one thing I did, that one issue that I, it didn't define me. You define me. And you said your grace is enough. I'm going to tell you what my cave was from three weeks ago. Since I know you all been thinking, that's what church people do. You tell them you got, you're struggling with something. They're like, probably crack cocaine. <laughs> yep. No, I was thinking crystal meth. Do you think he injects it or snorts it? <laughs> church folks, no wonder we get a bad name. So it was, it was an MRI. And some of you know I've got a little bit of a history with it. Why are you laughing so much? You making fun of me? 
Surely he can't be afraid of an MRI chamber. Well, if some of you don't know the story, I won't go back too far, but basically I have a history with MRIs. I, I like to go back at a, a couple times, you know, like I like to go there, kind of sniff it out, and then come back with some Valium, you know. And <laughs> but this time I was going to beat the system. I found out they have open MRIs. Oh, yeah. See, no one ever told me about that. I did a little research. And I, I, went, and, and I went down to Goodyear. There's, a, there's one in Goodyear. And uh, it's this open MRI chamber. So I walk in. I'm feeling kind of like, you know, I'm feeling like King David on top of my throne, you know. And uh, walk in. And, and this is what I see. Now, judging by the lack of ooh and ah. Oh, that you must think that that's an open MRI. See, in my mind, I'm thinking open MRI is like this. <laughs> Some little spidey device comes down, you know, like we're good. I didn't expect it to be the tunnel of death. <laughs> and so I get in there and, and you know, I, I lay down and I'm looking back, I'm like, and she's like, is, it, is, it, is everything okay, sir? I'm like, I said, is that the open, open MRI? Because right, right, there's another room over there. Is this, is this the open yeah, she's like, yeah, this is the open one. All right, I'm right. I'm right. So I lay down, and she's getting ready to, you know, enter me into the tomb of death. And all of a sudden, she's like, you seem agitated. You okay? I said, yeah. I'm, 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 I said, you know what? I don't think I, I, don't, I, don't think I, I can do it. She, I, I said, I think it's funny. <laughs> okay, you're, in fairness, you're sitting next to a purple heart in the military, okay? A man's man, okay? He literally is a purple heart, so come on. Me, I'm more of a, a, a pink heart, okay? Because basically what happened is I, I, I pushed the button without pushing the button. I never pushed the panic button, although it was in my hand, but I panicked due to fear, Right? I said, ma'am, I, I said, look, I, I don't think I can do it. I said, I'm going to have to come back. And you know what she said? Oh, no problem, sir. We just had a Navy SEAL. No kidding. She, she did. She said, we just had a Navy SEAL, and he pushed the button. I'm thinking, oh, that makes me feel so much better. That's really going to help when I tell my wife at home that I, that's going to be awesome. And, and here's the thing. There's always someone who will co-sign on your complacency on your spiritual atrophy. There's always someone that'll say, yeah, take that exit ramp off the path that God has for you. It's fine. Right? Don't, let, don't hang around people like that. And so I, on that particular day, I failed. And, and you know what the funny thing is? You know what Adullam means? Adullam, remember, he was in the cave of Adullam, that's a, it's a Hebrew word, and that word means refuge. Literally, God was taking me to a place, and him to a place of, of refuge. Now, it doesn't feel like refuge when they slide you into the, but there's something that I could conquer through the power of Christ that only could be conquered there. And I, I, the power would be made perfect in my weakness, but I avoided my weakness. I avoided that growth opportunity. Sometimes we run from that growth opportunity. We run from our refuge. I wonder how many times you've run, I've run. Yeah. 
Sometimes we're kept from our, from our call because we cower from the cave. And I think sometimes God looks down and he sees me like in that tomb and he sees me shivering. And he says, there's more in you. That's why he whispered it to me. Then there's more in you. Like you don't have to be governed and dictated by fear. Remember the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Well, I was that day and it wasn't because of God. It was because of my unbelief and my willingness to put myself into the cage, cage or cave, felt like a cage, and just say, God, I, I, I can't do this apart from you, but through you, I can be victorious. And, and by the way, for the record, I forgot to say this in the first service, I actually came back a few, uh, well, it was about a week later, and my good doctor here, the best podiatrist in town, I don't know if he's here, um, Dr. Dave, he... Um, he gave me some, I don't know what he gave me, but it was, I think it was a placebo or something because it didn't do nothing. <laughs> and I'm in there just praying away, you know, like, and, and I know they're listening because, you know, the whole thing's going, grr, grr, right? Grr. So I'm just in there praising God. I'm praying for all my, they, that girl knows everything about my family. <laughs> I, I, I literally praying for my kids by name going through it because I had to keep my mind. God will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. And so I had to keep focused on Jesus and through him, not through those medicines, whatever he gave me, Advil. <laughs> it didn't work, but it, Jesus works and he works every time if we trust him. And, and I was thinking about that nursery rhyme. Remember the nursery rhyme? Going on a bear hunt, right? I'm not afraid, right? Well, Johnny was. <laughs> but he could say, you can't go over it, can't go under it, gotta go through it. And God's saying, give me a word from the Lord. How about from a nursery rhyme? You got to go through it. You got to go through it. Like you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You got to go right through it. David had to go through it. I had to go through it. You got to go through it. And when you come out the other side of that cave for having gone through it, you will be better. You will be stronger and you will be ready to take that throne. You know, you say, well, how do I know my, 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 my calling's being cultivated? How do I know? How do I know? Because it always involves people. There's a congruency with all of our calls. Now, everyone's calls a little bit differently, but, but the congruency is the fact that it always involves loving, messy people. Mm. For David, he had to lo love these 400 distressed, broke, cantankerous jack wagons. And he's like, really, God, that's, that's what you're going to bring me in my cave? Yep. That's what I'm going to bring you. And, I, and it makes me wonder, how many of those people would we have disqualified from our church? Okay, you can, you can, it's okay if you're addicted to vape, so long as you're not addicted to heroin. You can gossip, but you better have never gotten an abortion. Now, you can be gluttonous, that's fine, we're, we're cool with gluttony, but no sexual sin. You see how we do that? Now, now, my point is, all that stuff is sin. Sin is sin, and I'm not going to water sin down. Like, it's not okay. No sin is Okay. But like sometimes we disqualify the very people that God is bringing for us to, to develop. See, God's working on our call. He's working on our call so that we, like David, because the way I see that scripture is he helped 400 people's call. 400 people. He helped them see in themselves that which they couldn't see without him. Right? Who do you have in your life that can help you see what you can't see. 
You see, the mighty men, you remember, remember you ever read the Bible talk about the mighty men? These, these messy men, the 30 mighty men came from the messy. The messy men became the mighty men because of a guy named David. God working through a guy named David who saw something in them that they could not see, Pastor Rod, in themselves. When, when I met you at the door, you came all the way from uh, Chicago, or not Chicago, Decatur. You came from Decatur. And I told you, I said, I don't know what happened out there or why you're here, but I said, your best days are ahead of you. And I said, email me. And you emailed me, we had coffee. And I believe that with all my heart. See, I'm just, and I didn't do anything profound. It, it, it was just simple, like God's got something for you. Like God's not done with you, right? Just see, and I'm not saying you couldn't see it in yourself, but maybe you just need, maybe that was a word fitly spoken. Maybe you need to hear that after all you've been through. I don't know. But who do you have in your life right now that will help you see in you that which you cannot see in yourself? If you can't answer that question, that's a problem. That's a problem because we are the body of Christ. We are supposed to be family. We're supposed to be in each other's lives, which is why I want to tell you about this group called 33. As you know, next week, we're starting, uh, we're kicking off our, our, um, all of our groups. And so make sure you sign up by next week for some sort of group. You need to be, we, we need to be in biblical community. We're stronger together. Well, there's this particular groups we're starting called 33. It's for men of God who want to step up and live and be men of God. Check it out. Imagine with me for a moment what could be. Imagine a world where men lead in their marriages, where men lead in raising their children, where men lead in protecting those who are weak and oppressed. It is the most important journey you could possibly be on. Anything this world needs more than a bold movement of men to step up and be men. When you look across our own lives, we can see that there's a deficit there. And there's a great need for men to rise up and be the men they've been called to be. We're just not going to pull that out of the air. We're going to look at our model and and the 33 years that Jesus lived on this earth. Men who don't transition well into middle adulthood. They usually fall to the major danger. You find yourself in between a rock and a hard place. If you let this happen, you'll find yourself in manhood hell. There's a lot that you can give a son, but the greatest gift you can give him is the example of integrity and a great name. That's a legacy. So you're not talking complex ethics here, right? Don't touch that tree. That, that's not hard. You see, manhood is imprinted. I refuse to let the 60-year-old me look back at the 20-year-old me like, what was he thinking? Imagine a world where men dominate areas of eternal significance. Come on. Men, I, I want to encourage you to sign up, man. Let's be a part of this. Let's, let's grow together. And listen, don't feel beat up. Feel encouraged, like we're striving together. We're better together, and we're going to encourage each other on that journey together. So you can check that out at, the, at our Connect counter or on the app. You can talk to Esteban or Pastor Brian, and uh, we'll get you all signed up. So the cave reveals dead weight. The cave cultivates your calling. And lastly, the cave refines your character. 
So let's fast forward to another cave. First Samuel 24. Saul had just learned that David fled to the desert of En Gedi. You can see it on the map. He went from Adullam, right there, about 25 miles to the southeast to En Gedi. And he brings, Saul brings 3,000 soldiers with him because he wants to take David out. Verse 3. He came to the sheep pens, he meaning uh, King Saul, came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Hmm, interesting. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. By the way, that's fake news. That never happened. God never said that. They, so they're, they're making that up. Then David crept uh, up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. What are the odds of all the caves in the desert, of all the caves in En Gedi, Saul just happens to mosey into the very one that contains King David's, well, soon to be King David, David's men, 400 men and, and David in there. What are the odds? And so the situation is perfect. There he is, he meaning King Saul. There's ambient noise outside the cave. The rustling of all the horses and all the king's men provide just a beautiful ambient noise so no one would hear. King Saul is boxed in by the cave. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere he can hide. The situation is perfect. David has a knife in his hand. Obviously, King Saul is relieving himself. He's preoccupied. Situation's perfect. This would probably be a, a, a good time to quickly put up there the 14 attempts on David's life. 14 times. There you go. You want to find out where they're at in the Bible? That's where they're at. 14 times he tried to take David's life. And he's got him in a perfect position to, and, oh, and by the way, his men are encouraging it. They're egging him on, saying, just take him out. This is what God said. No, God never said that, but thanks anyways. And, and, and so it's a perfect position. What would you have done in that cave? What would your character, what would my character have allowed me to do in that moment? Because there's some people who have wronged me. Now, never tried to kill me 14 times, but hurt me and said mean things. And here he is. He's got him right where he wants him. And you mean to tell me the only thing he's going to cut off is his corner of his robe? I'm just telling you, I could think of a few other things I would whack right off. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just being honest. The guy tried to take him out 14 times. And he's just going to, just let me just get a little sliver of your robe. Here you go. It's just a little bit. Are you kidding me? How could he do that? Because the same character that is required for the throne 
is the same character that's required in the cave. And if we can't possess that character in the cave, we ain't never gonna possess it on the throne. In Acts, we're told that David was a man after God's own heart, right? We, we love that part, but, it, but have you ever wondered why? If you keep reading that verse, God tells you why. In Acts, he's a man after my own heart, comma, for he will do what I ask him to do. It's about character. It's about integrity. It's about being the same man behind closed doors when no one's looking as you are when you're in front of people because when you get in front of people, if you have bad character, you ruin people's lives. You don't believe me? Ask Adolf Hitler and six million Jews. Ask Warren Jeffs. I mean, there's, there's a, 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 a litany of people who have gone down that path whose gifting exceeded their character. And when your gift exceeds your character, look out. Because that's when we fall. And so what God was doing is he was developing David's character. Developing his character so that he could trust him on the throne. I think a lot of us, we, 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 we leak you know, we, we, he was relieving himself. And so I know in a sense, there's a sense to which Saul was leaking. <laughs> but I don't think he's the only one that leaks. I think a lot of us, we leak in the cave. The men, the 400 men, they were extrapolating. They were making up. They were telling, oh, God said that. No, no, You're, that's, that's leaky character. That's leaky character. And God wants us to, to deal with our wounds. Deal, stop stuffing and deal with those wounds once and for all so that it doesn't control our life. I love the quote. Healing doesn't mean damage never existed. It means that damage no longer controls your life. <laughs> God wants us to be free. God wants us to be able to, to look the accuser in the eye, to look that, that person who hurt us, to look him or her in the eye and say the words that set not only him, but you free. I forgive you. Stop doing time for somebody else's crime by harboring unforgiveness. It's like drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. That's what unforgiveness is. Set yourself free and say, I, I forgive you, child of God. Why? Because there's more in me. Because I refuse to live the rest of my life jaded. Because the cave can make you better or it can make you bitter. Choice is up to you. Develop that character. As we close, I want to share a, a story with permission, thank you, of, uh, of Daniel. Daniel Johnson goes to this church, but he, uh, he was in a 25-year cave. You see, on January 3rd, 1995, Daniel Johnson would commit murder and would receive a life without parole sentence in California. Daniel would spend the first 12 years of his sentence running from God. He ran and he ran and he ran until December 27, 2006, when a guard at the Salinas State Prison in California said words that would change the course of his life. He said, and I quote, I believe you can be so much more translation there's more in you he just said it a different way there's more in you that guard spoke that over him because Daniel couldn't see it in himself and so until his faith was strong enough this man spoke that 
over him. Well, Daniel would begin to go to church in prison. He would read his Bible. And 12 years later, on July 14th, 2018, Daniel Johnson would drop to his knees in his cave called a cell. And he would say the words, Jesus, take the wheel, take the keys, take my life. And he fully surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. <laughs> Five months later, on December 23rd, 2018, he got a call from the governor's office. He would be receiving a full commutation and he would be released New Year's Eve of 2019. Friends, God used, God used that 25-year cave of conversion to literally convert that man. God would reveal dead weight. Some of the stuff, the alcoholism and the things he struggled with was dead weight. God would reveal the dead weight. God would cultivate his calling to, to whisper that he's not done with him, that you can be free even when you're in prison. And there's people who are on the outside that are in way more of a prison than he ever was. So he revealed dead weight. He cultivated Daniel's call and said, I'm not done with you, son. I'm not done with you. And then he refined Daniel's character because he had a mission for you, not only to share your story like you're allowing it to be shared today and sharing it with the many people at work that you share with, but also to prepare you for the woman who's now your wife. Last Sunday, they got married. Put a picture up. Come on. As your pastors, I'm, I'm so proud of both of you. And your marriage, your life will be a testament to the refining grace of God and what he can do through people who just say, you know what, there is more in me. You're a living, walking, breathing testimony to that. And I can't wait to see how God continues to utilize you in this life. I thank God for the captain at the Salinas State Prison who spoke that over him. And I pray that today, as we close, that you would speak that over yourself. That you, as we sing this last song, we're gonna sing a song together, Back to Life. This time we're gonna do it with the whole band. I pray that metaphorically, and maybe literally for some people, you would just come back to life, realizing that God is not done with me yet. There is more in me. There is more that God wants me to accomplish. I know things happen, but those things didn't happen for punishment. They happen for preparation. Those, those things that, that you thought were bad and that were wasted, God didn't waste any of it. He says it's all part of your story and it's coming together for the glory of God so that you can sit on the throne. Your throne might be the throne of your family. It might be the throne at, at Black Rock leading someone to Christ or telling someone that there's all sorts of different thrones. But I pray that God would breathe life into you, that you would come back to life and that you would say through this song, God, you're bringing me back to life because there's more in me. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship together. No longer I who live but Christ in me for I've been born again my heart is free the hope of
say in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon that's formed against us will prosper. We stand on that truth today. We declare that truth in this place, that the demons shudder at the name of Jesus Christ, that we would step into the authority that has been given to us by the Most High God, and that we would live out the call and the plans that you have for us and settle for nothing less than that. He had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. The enemy thought he had me, but Jesus said, you are mine. God, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just thank you for this church family. I thank you for the birth that you are taking us through, God. The life that you are bringing us back to, that you are making us aware of, God. I just thank you for each and every person, each and every story, each and every soul, God. Thank you for the cave of conversion that is unavoidable and completely necessary to accomplish the very work you've called us to do. God, thank you for it. Thank you for allowing us, loving us enough to allow us to go into it and come out better. God, we just thank you for it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus and you want to know Jesus, whether you're watching online or you're here today, you can pray, you can know him, and you can know that you're going to spend the rest of your life in heaven with Jesus, that your soul will be regenerated in this very moment by simply praying this prayer. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. I make you, Jesus, my Lord, from this moment on. My heart beats for you, oh precious King. In Jesus' name, let's welcome them to the family of God today. Come on. You prayed that prayer. We got to stop at our Connect counter. We got a free gift for you. And if you need prayer, we got our, our prayer warriors are up here. We would love to pray with you. You're not in this alone. You're in this together. We're better. We're stronger together. Are you all ready to do some battle? Because when you leave out today, we're stepping into the battlefield. We're stepping into that cave of conversion. God's going to do a great work. And when it gets hard, look up to him and say, there's more in me. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great week.